guys. Welcome to the podcast today. We are so excited to be here together and talk about an interesting subject that many people maybe aren't used to talking about, but is very needed in our world today. And so you're catching us in the middle of a discussion that we're having with um, some young adults, young leaders in the church here at Apostolic Tabernacle in Wilmington. And the person who's going to be guiding our conversation today, teaching, is going to be Reverend Brother Nick Norris, um, Prophet Nick Norris. He's got many offices um, that just recently moved here. Um, we're excited to have him. And so he's going to flow through conversation just like he's teaching. And we invite you just to jump in, have a good time. If you have a comment, leave it. Any questions, we'll do our best to get an answer. So take it away, Nick. All right, guys, thanks for listening. And thank you all for being here. Um, so we're going to talk about apologetics today. Um, and so this is, this is a relatively understood term. Uh, but we'll we'll try to make a, a nice, clear, concise definition of it before we leave. And somebody asks, uh, "What is apologetics?" You'll be able to tell them that, uh, tell them what that is <clears throat> by the end of the day. Before we discuss what an apologist is, let's talk about what an apologist is not. We obviously think of the word apologize when we say the word apologist. Um, an apologist is not somebody who would say, sorry, forgive the Canadian accent, by the way. I'm going to say sorry. Every time I say sorry, it's going to be sorry, not sorry. Um, but it's not saying sorry when you've done something wrong or hurtful. If you stole a cookie from a cookie jar uh, and you were busted, you were caught, and you say sorry, sorry, you apologize. That is not being an apologist. Apologetics comes from the Greek word uh, apologia, which means to give a defense, to give a defense. So if any of you in this, in this room today or listening have ever explained why you did or did not do something, uh, you used reason or evidence or rationality uh, for your behavior, uh, if you gave a defense in that moment, you were engaging in apologetics. If you were accused of stealing cookies from the cookie jar, uh, but you were actually studying for homework um, <clears throat> and you used your completed homework as evidence that you did not steal the cookies, that is the moment where you were being an apologist. So if you think about it, when we, when we say apologetics like capital A apologetics or apologist um, in, in, in a formal term, it usually refers to, specifically even amongst Christianity, a, a Christian intellectual thinker giving a defense for their Christian faith. Um, here's a few, because we are apostolics and Christians, um, I think it's important for us just to know that this is actually biblically substantiated. Uh, and so here's a few examples of apologetics that we see in Scripture. In the 25th chapter of Acts, Paul is on trial before uh, King Agrippa because he didn't basically agree with the, the religion of the Pharisees, the way they taught um, truth or what they claim to be truth. And so he's on trial before King Agrippa. And in Acts 26, verse 2, Paul says to King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, that I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews. Those words, make my defense, are the Greek apologia. Um, later on in that, in that same chapter, the 26th chapter, we see that King Agrippa nearly converts to Christianity. I think he says something, I'm paraphrasing, but almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Uh, Paul is being an apologist here, trying to persuade a, a, 
uh, pagan king to convert to Christianity. Now, I actually have a suspicion that that he might have done more than what Scripture leads us to believe there with Agrippa. But for Agrippa to to formally and publicly make the claim of him converting to Christianity literally would have been a, a, a death sentence to himself, claiming that Jesus was king and not Caesar. Um, Paul also tells us uh, that it is his and our responsibility to make a defense of the gospel. Philippians 1.7, he says, uh, I'll, I'll skip some of it. I'll just read it. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Uh, in Philippians 1.16, he's talking about different people uh, preaching the gospel. Some people do it out of um, just wanting to be famous or for money. Uh, and he's talking about some people who do it out of love, wanting people to grow closer to the Jesus. He says the latter, those who do it out of love, they do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for a defense of the gospel. So an apologist then is somebody who uses reason, ration, intellect, the ability to think, to defend our faith. Um, before we get too far off, I want to just take a second, and this might be a, a point of discussion if, if anybody wants to join in, um, but I want to try to uh, clear up a few things. There's a difference between belief and knowledge, and there's really a difference between belief and truth. So belief does not equal truth. We all believe things, but that does not mean that what we believe is true. Um, so there's, there's belief. There's, there's something called the, the um, JTB theory. I can't remember. It's a philosopher a few hundred years ago. Um, but there's belief. So people believe in things like Santa Claus or if you're a young child, you could believe in things like a tooth fairy. Some believe in Buddha. Adults, rational adults, believe in Buddha. Um, others believe that the election was rigged. Others believe um, Jesus is a fantasy. Uh, and, and yet others still believe that he was raised from the dead. Some of those are true. Some of those are false. But just because you believe something doesn't innately make it true. Um, then there's such a thing as true belief. True belief would be things like the earth is round, the sun is going to rise tomorrow, the sky appears to be blue. None of us, well, I shouldn't say that. Maybe you're smarter than me. I couldn't really show you the science behind why those things are the way they are, but there's evidence that those things are that way. So we have true beliefs about certain things that we don't always know how to explain. So we might talk about this today, but there's... Apologetics, the point of apologetics, let me just summarize. Um, there's things we know to be true as Christians, but that we can't show to be true. The purpose of apologetics is to be able to know and show what we believe to be true. And then there's uh, something called justified true belief. This is arriving at a true belief with evidence, with reason, with rationality behind it. Um, here's a true belief. We are sitting here discussing the meaning of apologetics. I know that because we're all here, because we're recording it on a podcast, because people are listening. Um, here's another true, a justified true belief, and we'll get to this hopefully in two weeks. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That is a justified true belief. Um, and it is actually, I, would, I, I don't want to use the word proof because it gets us into a lot of trouble, but there's a lot of evidence that suggests that both in Scripture and outside of Scripture. All right. 
We're going to shift gears unless anybody has a question or thought or anything on that. I have a question. So how does that play into moral relativism then? We're going to get to subjectivity and relativism in a little bit, but we can, we could take that on. Um, let's, let's, all right, we'll just, we'll see where this ends up in terms of time. Um, moral relativism basically asserts that, uh, what might be good when you're talking about morals, you're talking about justice, goodness, uh, inequality, right? There, there's terms that are moral terms. Uh, we say things like fairness, um, and so if somebody says moral relativity, uh, people would say things like, well, that might be okay for you to do, but uh, I don't agree with that or, or s- things like that. And it, it gets into, I, I might come back to this because I want to talk about the objectivity of truth and uh, we can attack that through that a little bit. Um, anyways, I have a couple questions and you guys don't have to answer this out loud, but it might just be an interesting thought experiment if we, if we do or if we save our answers till the end. Um, and they're, they're pretty much yes or no questions, so it's easy to remember. The first question is, do we need to have, or are we required to have an intellectual understanding of our faith? The, simple, the second question, excuse me, is simply having faith or believing sufficient for salvation? And the third question would be, do we have the responsibility to attempt to show others that the apostolic faith is a more accurate interpretation of scripture. I would presume by the one, two, three, four, five, six, eight people in this room, aside from myself, probably not all answers were unanimous. And I'm assuming our listenership, uh, there's some who said yes to some questions and no to others. Um, And so we're going to shift yet again, just a little bit here. Um, and talk about a few different uh, positions of, of, I guess this is, here's some epistemology. Epistemology is a nice word to say, like theory of knowledge, okay? So we're going to talk about different types of knowledge, um, specifically in relation to faith and to our Christian, our Christian thinking. So if, if knowledge is a spectrum, on the one end of the spectrum, we have fideism, Fides is a is a I believe it's a Latin word which means faith. So fideism, faithism. Uh, fideism is the belief that our religious knowledge comes from faith and revelation alone, not from reason, not from intellect, not from evidence, scientific or empirical or otherwise. A fideist would say things like, "I don't need to show evidence that God exists. I just believe He does. Doesn't matter if there's evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ." I've heard some, sadly, some Christian. Uh, pastors say things like, it doesn't matter if Jesus literally rose from the dead. All that matters is that he rose in your heart. So he would be a fideist. Okay, I, I disagree with that for the record. <laughs> uh, there's strengths and weaknesses to all these positions. So if you're a fideist, and I know fideist, if you're a fideist, the strength of that position is that almost nobody can convince you or ration you out of that position because you don't really rely on ration. You just believe it. Uh, and so it's hard to argue somebody out of a, out of a fideistic perspective. Uh, the weakness of that position is that you have no intellectual superiority if you're debating a Buddhist or if you're talking to a Baptist or for that matter, really for somebody who thinks uh, God is a great bear and there's types of religions that do, they believe that. Um, and from fideism, you really have no uh, ground to, to debate somebody and say, well, no. 
So fideism is on this end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum, the far, far, far side, would be something we call strong rationalism. Uh, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's somebody who uh, they only believe what evidence suggests. These are the type of people who would truly believe that you are innocent until proven guilty. doesn't matter what circumstances point that direction. You're truly innocent until proven guilty. Um, and so the strength of being a strong rationalist, I know uh, my brother-in-law is a strong rationalist, Adam King. Uh, he's a strong rationalist. These people are hard to argue with because they have a lot of evidence for what they believe, why they believe it, uh, and they can prove that. They're usually very logical. Um, the weakness of strong rationalism that I see is that it, uh, it limits us to believing only what we can kind of verify through evidence or um, through, through rationality. Uh, and, and I think there's a lot of strong rationalists who kind of they don't always, they believe things that they can't always show. Uh, that said, that's a strong position. And then in the middle end, the middle of the spectrum, uh, I probably am mostly in this category, but I, I think I jump back and forth depending on which position I'm arguing or debating for. <laughs> uh, but this is the position of critical rationalism. Uh, fideism's on this side, Strong's on the other side. Critical rationalism is right in the middle, middle of the spectrum. A critical rationalist will look for evidence uh, to believe or to support what they believe, but they also understand there are, there are some things that they believe or some knowledges that they, they believe in that they probably will never have the evidence to be able to support. Um, that's the strength of it. The weakness is that uh, I, I'm accused of this is that I'm accused of selecting the data that does support what I believe, and so you have to kind of defend that. Um, all of us are apostolic in this room and, and probably a good number of us listening are apostolic. Uh, I, I would hope that we're all filled with the Holy Ghost as well. Um, and so you'll find people um, in these different camps who we call brother and sister. Uh, each has their strength. Like I said, each has their weakness. Um, but I do think that they're not all necessarily equal positions. So now we're going to kind of go back to the relativism uh, and show that there is superiority of specific uh, positions. Has, everyone, has anyone ever heard someone talk about their truth? They'll say things like, this is true for me. doesn't have to be true for you. We hear that uh, a lot. The implication behind that statement is that we all have our own individual truths and that all of them are equal. This is to go back just a little bit where we're talking about moral subjectivism. Um, this is more along the lines of truth and of knowledge, but this is what we call subjectivism. The position of subjectivism asserts that there is no such thing as objective truth, and moral subjectivism would say uh, there is no moral objectivity. If it works for me, it's good. Uh, it's fine. It's it's doesn't have to meet your same criteria of morality. Uh, this, this view of, of subjective truth or subjectivism holds that uh, truth is subject to individuals based on their differing circumstances and experiences. This sounds great and compassionate toward most people's belief systems, uh, and it's not, it's not offensive initially to somebody, so it's, it's tempting to want to think this way, 
but it's incredibly flawed thinking. Suppose uh, any two of us decide to have a conversation and I say that all truth is equally the same and you say my truth is correct and yours is wrong. My truth just affirmed your subjective position of it being true, but your truth, if it is true, which by my own criteria it has to be, it actually self-defeats my position. So to say all per- all perspectives of truth are equal is one of the most flawed ways to to uh, to rationalize. It's logically impossible for for both positions to be correct. I could say the sky is not blue and you could say the sky is blue. If I held that truth is subjective, both are simultaneously true, which it's logically impossible. So for you to say uh, your truth is wrong, it takes my argument out from right underneath of me. Um, and that's, a, that's a, it's called a self-defeater in, in these terms or in philosophy. Um, and so we, we have to be careful because it's tempting to, to allow for subjective thinking um, in our very PC woke culture, um, even in the church, it's, it, it seeps in. So we have to allow, uh, we must never allow someone to persuade us to think that all truth is equal. Um, it doesn't take long to imagine, obviously, because of that, how we have like, I think there's, oh man, there's over 200 denominations of Christianity in America. And I think I read something there's like over 40,000. I can't remember the exact number. Um, but the, the, the point there is, is that we can't, uh, say that truth is equal or we're, or we are, um, doing a disservice to our own self. Um, I got ahead of my notes. I thought I was somewhere else and I thought I had another point to make, but I don't. So we'll just move forwards. Um, I would say in conclusion then for those who are apostolic, there are a few other, um, scriptures that we can use that substantiate, uh, this, this type of reasoning and thinking of making a rational defense for our faith in second Timothy two fifteen, uh, Paul tells Timothy to do his best to present himself uh, a worker unto God who is approved uh, with no need to be ashamed and to rightly divide the word of the truth. If it says to rightly divide or rightly handle the word of truth, that implies that there's a wrong way. And so that takes study, as we just said, uh, study to show yourself approved. Isaiah 118, God speaking says, come now, let us reason together. God actually invites us to reason with him. Isaiah 43 and 26, God again says, put me in remembrance, let us argue. Set forth your case that you might be proved right. Uh, In 1 Peter 3.15, again, this is probably one of the apologists' favorite scriptures. They say, in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So I guess in conclusion, um, if there are three purposes for apologetics, one would be to show um, that the Christian worldview, the, the apostolic worldview, is actually a rational perspective. You don't have to think of yourself as less intelligent because you're apostolic. Uh, the second reason is that, uh, and this is true for myself and, and true for most people I know who have studied apologetics, if you are in a season of doubt or a season of questioning, apologetics can actually be um, a safety net in your own faith 
it can prevent you from a, a faith crisis. And thirdly, it can be used as an evangelism tool to the atheist, to the Muslim, to, the, to anybody. Um, and so there is much value in apologetics. Thank you, guys. So that concludes this podcast with Nick Norris talking about apologetics today. If you have any questions, just hit the comment button below, wherever you're at, hit us up there. You can text us um, if you want to. This kind of works all the ways around. Text the word THINK to 910-600-0498. We can take your questions there. And until the next time, you've been enjoying, we haven't named it yet. We haven't named it yet. I like the questions podcast. For today, you've enjoyed the No Name Podcast about apologetics. We'll see you next time.